Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 19. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And right now, all your attention should be on El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio. And also on the ripple effects that are rocking every city and town all across America. Unless you've been living on the dark side of the moon, or you're Tucker Carlson, you know the deal. Two horrific shootings. At least 31 people killed over the weekend, and two massacres in Texas and Ohio. 22 people killed in El Paso after a mass shooting there. Police say they found an anti-immigrant document espousing white nationalists and racist, white supremacist views. In Dayton, another nine people were killed in a shooting in the Oregon district. The suspect in that shooting is dead. But just one week before, it was a mass shooting in Gilroy, California. And only last year, it was Parkland, Florida. City after city. Tragedy after tragedy. And in many places you don't hear about, or maybe don't think about. It was a really violent weekend in Chicago that left 12 people dead and dozens more wounded. A total of 66 people were shot from 6 p.m. Friday to midnight on Sunday in Chicago, and 12 of those victims have died. Among the victims were a 17-year-old girl shot in the face and a 17-year-old boy on a bike. Sometimes I tell people what this show is called, and they tell me, you know, I'm not angry. So I challenge them. I say, you're not angry about the Russians attacking our elections? Some say no. You're not angry about the state of politics in America? Some say no. You're not angry about the electric scooter invasion, the lack of public bathrooms in America, or the pro-measles people? A few still say no. But when I ask, you're not angry about mass shootings? Yeah, that one gets just about everyone in America. If you're not angry about mass shootings in America, especially mass shootings in schools, then you're really not paying attention. People everywhere are upset, understandably. And Americans want action. Americans are tired of thoughts and prayers. Americans are tired of the bullshit. Americans are tired of the excuses. And Americans want real action. Americans like Damon Davenport, who lost two cousins in Dayton. I'm lost for words right now. My family's lost for words, but I gotta remain strong. You know, you have people in high places, you know, and, and, and I'm, going, I'm going to get on every news station and I'm going to shout this out. You know, we have gun laws. People can just go and buy guns and, you know, not even be registered or not even qualified. You know, they can just walk into a gun store and buy high-powered equipment and walk right out and kill people in broad daylight, broad nighttime. You know what I'm saying? Like, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. And today is going to be the day that it does stop. I'm shouting out to the President of the United States. I want this to go viral. I'm going to make sure that this is on every news station because my cousins did not deserve to lose their life. They had children, hardworking people. All they was doing was enjoying a night on the town, and they're dead. 
never to come home again, never to see their family again. They're gone. And I want the president to hear this. Donald Trump, I want you to hear this. You need to be here right now. You need to. He does. He does need to be there right now. As a leader. I hope he will. But I'm not holding my breath. And hope is not a course of action. And if he can't be there, physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, as a leader, then we can be. Each and every one of us. Because in America, in 2019, we have a uniquely American, uniquely loud, uniquely violent, uniquely globally, influentially impactful problem. We have a gun problem. And we have a racism problem. And we have a hate problem. In the past 18 months, white extremists Active shooters in the U.S. have been responsible for 63 deaths in seven episodes. The New York Times did a great piece on this this week that you definitely should check out. White extremist assailants have opened fire at schools, at synagogues, at places of business. All but two of these attacks since 2011 were fatal. But the El Paso shooting has been the deadliest by far. Yes, America has a very deep very serious, very real racism problem that is now increasingly growing into an increasingly violent one. The great Toni Morrison died this week, and it's a tragic loss. She was a towering force of impact, a voice of reason, a voice of clarity, a Nobel laureate in literature whose best-selling works examined and defined black identity in America. She died in the Bronx this week at age 88. Losing Toni Morrison right now is crushing. But maybe it's also the most important time we could have lost her. Because right now, more than ever in our lifetime, we need to hear her words. If you can only be tall because somebody's on their knees, then you have a serious problem. And my feeling is white people have a very, very serious problem problem and they should start thinking about what they can do about it take me out of it tony morrison was right tony morrison is right white people do have a very very serious problem and it's not just white people we all have a very serious problem it's the rising tide and the increasing damage of white nationalism and white supremacy in this country right now. It's a very, very serious problem. A deadly serious problem. One that's taking more and more lives by the week. And we all really need to start thinking about what we can do about it. But white people especially need to start thinking about what we or they can do about it. And all of us, no matter what our color, need to focus on it right now. It starts locally in how you treat your neighbors and whether you call people out. And it extends to our racist president, a man who wants to ban Muslims, who calls Mexican people rapists and tells American people of color to go back where they came from. If you don't think Donald Trump is racist and has at least increased a climate of racism in this country, 
then maybe you're racist yourself. He didn't start it, but he's not helping. And if you don't see that, it means you're probably not angry because you're probably not paying attention. And it means this is probably the wrong podcast for you. Or maybe it's just what you need. Maybe it's just the right podcast to have your eyes pried open to the reality that is unfolding all around you. And maybe being supported, overtly or not, by you. Because we have a very real white nationalism and white supremacy problem. And we have a political paralysis problem. And we have a presidential leadership problem. All of which combine to create a truly existential problem. Because all this is not happening in a vacuum. All Americans are watching us tear each other apart. But the rest of the world is watching too. And the more and more America is divided and weakened, the more our enemies and other countries around the world will test us. And it's happening right now. China is taking aggressive action in the trade war, devaluing its currency this week. Russia is pushing more and more aggressive naval actions against NATO forces in the Black Sea. Turkey's likely to begin an invasion of northeast Syria in the next few weeks, with tens of thousands of troops from Turkey massed on the border right now. Iran continues to watch and wait and challenge. This week, they seized another tanker, this time an Iraqi one. And our old friend Kim Jong-un, he launched some new missile tests in North Korea. He said the new missile test was, quote, an occasion to send an adequate warning to the joint military drill now underway by the U.S. and South Korean authorities. So while our nation mourns and debates and is divided by two new mass shootings, while racism and race continue to divide us, our enemies are watching and they're pressing. Yes, we have some very serious problems. All our other problems are coming together and the future of our country hangs in the balance. I've told you this show is a distress call, a warning flare. And in the military, a flare is a call for help, a call for reinforcements. And it's also a tool to illuminate what's on the battlefield, a tool to help clarify and unify before a counterattack. A flare can be like a magnifying glass and a rally point. And that's what I want this show to be now more than ever, especially right now. And this week, we've got two people who are each very different kinds of flares. First, we have a quick interview with Rick Wilson that I did earlier this week on SiriusXM Radio. I want to bring it to you now because it's so insightful and so important. And because maybe the single most important factor in America around all these issues is Donald Trump. And the fight to defeat him will determine the future of America. And as a show that's always focused on being a voice for everyone, and especially for political independence, we're going to explore all sides. Last week, we talked to Democrat whisperer Tommy Vitor of Pod Save America. And this week, we're going to get the other side and talk to Republican whisperer Rick Wilson. Rick breaks down Trump's reaction to El Paso and Dayton, which Democrats are the strongest, and boldly predicts whether or not Trump will be reelected. He's making a prediction. And it's one you need to hear. It's a warning flare for sure. And then 
I have the most powerful interview we've ever had on Angry Americans. It's a flare that I think can be an illumination flare. A flare that lights up the landscape, opens our eyes, reveals where we stand, and I hope can unite us in action to move forward. As these mass shootings rock our already fragile nation to our core, I sat down exclusively with a young man that's captivated and inspired people nationwide, J.T. Lewis. If you heard our episode on race with Soledad O'Brien, you may remember my angry action segment about the inspiration of heroes named Lewis. I told you about John Lewis, the legendary and iconic civil rights leader. And I told you about J.T. Lewis. And I found him. And now, you'll hear from him. J.T. Lewis knows more about mass shootings than just about anyone in America. He's the 19-year-old brother of Jesse Lewis, a 7-year-old hero who was one of 20 children and 6 adults murdered at the Sandy Hook Massacre in Newtown, Connecticut. Young Jesse, at 7 years old, bravely rallied his friends to run for safety just before losing his own life. It may seem like just yesterday or like forever ago, but Sandy Hook was 2012, seven years ago. And in 2012, seven years ago, after losing his only brother, then 12-year-old JT committed his life to honoring Jesse's memory by making a difference in the world. He raised money for Rwandan genocide survivors. He met with Presidents Obama and Trump. And just three weeks ago, announced his candidacy as a Republican for state Senate in Connecticut at just 19 years old. The freshman college student and football player is a powerful, authentic, real voice on gun violence and an inspiration for all Americans. And especially right now, his is a voice that must be heard. Because the violence is real, and it's out there. But the heroes are out there, too. They're always out there. And often, they step up when we need them the most. A 22-year-old Army automated logistics specialist assigned to the 1st Armored Division at Fort Bliss, Texas, had been shopping at a Foot Locker store inside the Sierra Vista Mall in El Paso. He was shopping when a young kid burst into the store shouting about an active shooter at a nearby Walmart. At first... Army Private First Class Glendon Oakley Jr. was completely unaware of the chaos unfolding around the corner. Then he pulled his gun that he was licensed to carry. Um, I was in a sports store named Fanatics. I was buying a jersey and a little kid runs in there and says it's an active shooter at Walmart. But me and the guy, we didn't pay no mind because, you know, he's just a little kid. So I walk out and I go to um, I go to Foot Locker and all I hear is, ball, ball. So I got my license to carry and I'm in the military. So I think it's, all I think is, you know, get my gun and think fast. So they, they closed, Foot Locker closed the, uh, the cage, but some people lifted it. Because I guess they were so scared they wanted to make it out. So I, I peeled out with them, and I just followed them. And I see a whole bunch of kids just running around without their parents. So I'm just thinking about the kids. So I, I pick up as many as possible and carry them with me, and another guy does it as well. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm shaking up. I can't think. But uh, I just peeled out. I, I just hope the kids make it safe, man, because it was a whole bunch of kids just running around without their parents. And I, I was worried about the kids more than myself. You said so. you heard the shots? Yeah, he did too. I'm in the military, so I probably feel different for me because, you know, we're trained to, when you hear a gunshot, to pull out your weapon and think fast. I'm just worried. I wasn't really worried about myself. I was worried about the kids. So I, 
I put my I put my stuff on. I just picked up the kids and just carried them with me. Me and the other guy did. We made it through dealers. So I wasn't really worried about myself. What ran through your mind when the, when the first shot rang out? When you heard the first shot, what ran through your mind? You know, I'm in the military. I can't. I couldn't even tell you. It's a feeling that anybody in the military can tell you. It's a feeling that you can't explain. You know what I'm saying? Your heart just. All you think is pull out your weapon and think fast. I'm curious. What were the kids? What were the kids' reactions when you were running, running around crying? They were all just running around crying, just running around, just running. And all I could think about was kids. I was. I, I think about it as if my if my if my child if I have one if my child was in the same predicament what I would want somebody else to do. So I picked them up and the other guy did as well. But it, it was it was so many kids that we couldn't pick them all up. You know what I'm saying? So I. I I, wasn't, I couldn't go back, you know, do, do what it do, but I try my best to, me and the other guy try, my, try our best to get as many out as possible, but that's, that's all that was. When the flare went up, the biggest call of his life went out, and Glendon Oakley answered it. He answered the call. He stepped up. He helped. He did something. When someone did something unimaginably negative, Glendon Oakley did something heroically positive. He saw the flare, he answered the call, and he changed history. He saved kids when no one else would. That exact challenge is one most of us will never have to face. But we all now face a different challenge, a challenge of our generation. Our country is hurting. Our country is wounded. Our country is bruised. And our country and our future is standing right now between a bullet and a target. But the future is ours to determine. And our guest in this episode, the courageous JT Lewis is answering that call. He faced something unimaginably negative, and he's responding with a commitment that is heroically positive. If you felt down this week, it's okay. Most of us did. But I promise you'll leave this episode lifted up and with some hope. It's time to use a trick I learned in the Army as an infantry soldier. Every grunt knows it. If you've ever been in the military, you probably remember it. And if not, maybe it'll serve you well one day. Whether it's real bullets flying at you, or the barrage of bad news in America this week or this year, or the stress of juggling kids, life, school, job, whatever. When you're under stress, and things are tough, and you're in the field, or on patrol, you need to focus. So how do you brush off those distractions and maintain your focus? It's called SILS. S-L-L-S. When the stress chaos, and exhaustion take your focus off of moving forward effectively. Think about SILS. S-L-L-S. Stop, look, listen, smell. Stop what you're doing. Look around you. Listen to your surroundings. Smell your environment. SILS is all about taking a time out to refocus. It allows you to stop reacting to the external stimuli, be mindful of your environment, and focus on what really matters. That's what this episode is all about. And of course, it's all about the four eyes. A burning flame of integrity, 
a slow glow of information, an illuminating cluster of impact, and a bright beacon of inspiration. Let's light the flare. It's time to bring some light to all the heat. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 19. We've finally got a guy on the phone with us now who I think is, is a strategist, a planner. He's been there. He's been on the inside uh, on the Republican Party and now in the media. He's been a forceful voice and I think a really important voice in these in these troubling times. But Rick Wilson is a Republican strategist, uh, a guru of political insight, and I think kind of a Republican whisperer. Last week, we talked to Tommy Vitor and said, what the hell's going on with the Democrats? I'm eager to talk to Rick and find out what the hell's happening with the Republicans. Mr. Wilson, are with us, sir. I am indeed. How are you today? Thanks for having me. What do you think the president should be doing or saying? Um, and for the other candidates, too, what, what do you think they should be doing or saying right now? The, the problem with Trump is always that um, when he reads something off the teleprompter and it sounds good, it's not real. And so he said a lot of things today that I think were meaningful and necessary and, and beneficial. And in any other president, if Barack Obama had said those words or if George W. Bush had said those words, any other president having, having said those words would have been praised. But the, but the reality of Trump is that, is that the, the, the real Trump is in the asides. The real Trump is in the, is in the throwaway lines. That was a speech that didn't mean anything. Mm. He called out white supremacy, but he still employs Stephen Miller. Mm. He called out white supremacy, but he was praising Steve Bannon yesterday on Twitter. So all these things that, that sound great and that, that, are, that are the right words to say um, that are not going to be backed up by any sort of action, um, I think are ultimately meaningless and ultimately detrimental to the country because nothing will be resolved on any front. Is there a, a voice in the Republican Party that we can look to now that's not Trump. Will somebody emerge? Who are you looking to right now to be a voice for the Republican Party, whatever that means right now? I mean, Paul, listen, I, the, the most difficult and disappointing thing about my daily reality is that there are no heroes in elected Republican office today. There are none. They're gone. They've disappeared. They're too afraid. They live in terror that if they say anything to Trump, he'll, they'll get a primary and, and, and the, the, they'll be out of office. And, and so there, there is no, there is no moral courage in the GOP elected, uh, officials today. Even Mitt Romney, who was expected to be sort of the great hope, um, has been very quiet about Trump's, uh, uh, excesses and, 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 and Trump's behavior. So, you know, it is disappointing, but, uh, you know, basically the number of never Trump guys willing to speak out you know, in public, on the record every day, we could sit us around a table in a Waffle House. Right, right, right. I mean, if you were putting your money down right now, is Trump going to win? Right now, yes. 
And and why the Democrats what, what, will do everything they can. They will do everything they can to sabotage themselves. They think this election is about issues, mm-hmm. and it's not. The election is a referendum on Donald Trump. Issues do not matter. They won't win this election. Donald Trump's issue set fit on a trucker hat. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama's issues fit in one word on a poster. They're fighting this Medicare for all and Green New Deal and all these other things out that do not matter to the to the electorate. They will not make any difference to the electorate at the end of the day, and, and, and none of it will count unless they are the candidate who can take on Trump and beat him at the reality TV show that is this campaign. So that's why I think Trump still has the odds-on chance right now to win, because the Democrats haven't universally figured out that it's Trump who you have to go after, not, not Barack Obama or, or Joe Biden. Have you ever worn a dress shirt? We all have. At some point, you have to wear a dress shirt. And subconsciously, it reminds you of a straitjacket. There is nothing fun about it. Very, very little upside. Yet we got to wear them and we wonder why nobody's making them better. Well, I have good news. Someone has made them better. And that someone is Mizzen in Maine. And the good news also, football season is coming. And Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable because they use performance fabrics, kind of like football jerseys. They're made with these performance fabrics, which means they stretch and move with you all day long. They can move with you all day long in the summer, into the fall, into the winter. And we're coming through those summer months, man, which means the sun is beating down on you. It's sweltering gaze, slowly weeding out the weak, like the Jacksonville Jaguars or the New York Jets. In a normal cotton dress shirt, you look like a sponge. You sweat and your cotton dress shirt soaks it up, taking forever to dry. It's gross. It's very gross. Like the Eagles. I've been there so many times. Not so with Mizzen and Maine. Their performance fabrics dry quickly, wicking away moisture so you never have to worry about looking like a mess. Like the Cowboys. It's too hot for cotton. Look cool. Look slick. Like I hope my Giants look this year. I'm not that hopeful, but I hope. Look, Mizzen and Maine is an awesome company. Their shirts are wrinkle-resistant, makes them perfect for travel. If you're going out to check out the LA Rams or you're going down to Houston to check out J.J. Watt, who is a big supporter of Mizzen and Maine, they're perfect for travel, comfortable on the plane, pull them out of your bag, out of your locker, whatever, never have to worry about ironing. The shirts are easy, folks. They work, they're comfortable, and you can wash them without having to pay the dry cleaner. They're a machine of shirts, kind of like the Patriots. As much as I hate them, you got to respect them, and you got to respect Mizzen and Maine. Their website is www.mizzenandmaine.com, or you can check out comfortable.af. That's their backup website, which is also awesome. Use the code ANGRYAMERICANS at checkout to receive 10 bucks off a dress shirt now. That's ANGRYAMERICANS, 10 bucks off a dress shirt now. And they got a new store open in Miami. They got stores in Fort Worth, in Dallas, and in Oklahoma City. So check them out in person or go online. They're big supporters of this show, and I hope you'll take just a minute or two to check them out and try out the product. Mizzen in Maine, it's never felt better to look your best. Angry Americans, I am very, very excited, honored, and humbled to have a fantastic guest joining us here at the Classic Car Club in Manhattan. Um, We talked about you a couple weeks ago on this show when you first declared your candidacy, but uh, I'm just already inspired by you. 
and I, I just want to welcome you. JT Lewis is in the house here to talk to us. Welcome, JT. Thank you. That's really nice. Really happy to be here. This is an amazing place you have. A cool spot, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we may have a thunderstorm rolling in while we're Looks talking, like which will add to the drama. Um, and these are really important times. I think you might be one of the most important people in America to talk to, especially right now. Wow, but before we do that, I always ask every guest, what would you like for a drink? And I had a dilemma because you're the first guest I've ever had who's not yet 21. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, we're drinking some Cokes. Yeah, We're drinking absolutely. some Cokes. Here's a question. They went ahead and put a lime in it. I never, I'm sorry, a lemon know, rather. Uh, I've never you, done that before. I've never done that before. Yeah. That was so, a new experience. You've never, you never run for office before either. So we're starting there you off go. the trend yeah. here, right? Absolutely. Um, so I, again, I'm, I'm really excited you could be here and we got a lot to go through, but I always mm -hmm. want to focus this show on people who are important, iconic, inspiring Americans. And you are already inspiring and incredibly important. Thank you. Um, and you're 19 years old. Mm, yeah. And so I want to, maybe for folks who don't know the story, and I've, I've talked a little bit about it on the show, um, why are you here, man? Why, why yeah. are you running for office? You're going to go to CNN after this. You were on Fox before this. Yeah. And I'm really excited to have so much time with you. But why, why are you here at this moment right now? Yeah, well, it, it all started uh, 12-14, uh, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. I lost my brother in that. And, um, you know, I looked at it afterwards and there was so much that could have been done to prevent that shooting. So much, so many steps Connecticut should have taken uh, and should have taken afterwards, frankly, to become a leader in the nation. Uh, the way I look at it, Connecticut should have led the nation in preventing shootings. Now, that whether that's mental health, uh, some sort of gun reform or um, school safety measures like hardening the school, whatever route, whatever avenue you want to take, Connecticut should have taken it and led the nation. Uh, on that front. And we didn't, you know, our leaders seriously lacked. My mom started the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement, uh, which is a social emotional learning program in schools uh, shortly after the shooting. And that was because Jesse actually wrote on our kitchen chalkboard a week before he died, nurturing, healing, love, now phonetically spelled because it was from a six-year-old. But wow. yeah, and she, she took that message and wanted to spread it across the world and started this movement. And the first call we made was our state senator uh, in our district. And this was in 2015 and uh, never got a return call. Now, this is Connecticut that had a mass shooting, 26 dead, including my brother, in first grade, and the state senator wouldn't return our call representing our district. Now, that's frankly disgusting. Uh, and, and Connecticut's leadership, that, that's an, it explains Connecticut's leadership, that one story, um, very lacking. And so here I am, 19 years old, a couple years later. Uh, you know, the way I look at it, if a 19-year-old can challenge a... Uh, a sitting senator who's been in legislature for 10 years. And I am. I mean, we've had national news and he's, he's shaking right now. Uh, if, if a 19-year-old can do it, anyone can do it. And it's waking politicians up. A great story. A uh, week after I announced, uh, the senator got $80,000 passed uh, in a package for Fairfield schools to become secured. Now, that's a week after I announced. He did it in reaction to my announcement, thinking he would you know, counteract my, my school safety platform. It didn't work. I mean, he got called out on it immediately. Now, why didn't you do that six and a half years ago when, when the shooting happened? Or why didn't you do it seven years ago before the shooting happened for your district? This, this is where we are. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad that my candidacy is already making a difference in Connecticut and beyond. Politicians are waking up saying the young, young people are coming. And if we don't yeah. do anything, they're going to they're gonna take over. Yeah. And you're, uh, you're a big dude. 
you, you played you played football in high school growing up. Yeah, uh, we talk a lot about sports and about how it shapes people mm. as as human beings. Um, what'd you play in football? I was a kicker and a punter. You were a kicker and a punter. Yeah, and you're like six four, six, six three, yeah. six three. You're a big kicker and a six, big. Three, punter. I thought you were going to tell me D line or tight uh, end. Or- in in eighth grade, I played a little nose tackle, but uh, <laughs> now now I'm a kicker punter. That that is uh, an insight into who you are. But take us take us back to growing up, right? Because yeah. leaders, um, I think, are are forged in times of crisis or challenge mm-hmm. or opportunity. But it sounds like you were a leader, you know, from the early days. And so your mom is Scarlett, right? Scarlett, yeah. Your mom has been a, an incredible advocate mm-hmm. for so many people. And and she's a fighter. Absolutely, and, yeah. That's where I got it from. And a single you, mom too. Yeah. So can you t- both of us. talk about how you grew up? And yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about Jesse, and I want to tell I want to tell Jesse's story. Let's do um, it. But I want to talk. Take us back to what your what your household was like when you guys yeah. were growing up, and how you got to be a leader long before you turned nineteen. Yeah. So it was just me, my mom, and my brother, and uh, she raised us by herself on a very small income, which is amazing in itself. Um, we had everything we ever wanted. We lived on a farm, actually. We had horses and chickens and goats. I mean, it, it's been everything over the years and uh, a garden in the back that we used to eat from uh, at dinner. Um, and that, that was an amazing experience growing up. I had my own horse. Um, yeah, uh, pretty amazing experience. And, and to watch my mom do that all herself. I mean, she had a farm, two kids, uh, a job, and it was just her. And so that obviously that leadership early on in my life was inspiring and, and gave me direction. Um, yeah. And um, was your family involved in politics? No, of course not. No, we didn't even, you never think it'll happen to you, a a shooting like that. And and no, we weren't involved in politics at all. I mean, so you were, you were on a farm, which I spent a weekend with my kids on a farm. And I think, I don't know if there's a better place for little kids in the world to be than on a farm. Jesse used to uh, patrol the property, patrol. He would wear a little plastic army helmet and he'd, he'd keep it safe is what he thought, what he thought he was doing. And he would wander the perimeter of the property and just, you know, keep everything in order. That was, that was really emblematic of him uh, as a person. And I guess gr- growing up on a farm also, you know, teaches you independence and teaches you mm. community and teamwork. Yeah, we muck the stalls and <laughs> had to feed the, the horses twice a day. And it's absolutely, there's order and there's there's a lot, lot to it. What was your horse's name? Apache. Apache. Yeah, painted quarter horse. Wow. Yeah, that's like out of the movies, man. Yeah, it was for sure. He was a uh, he. He did com- competitive riding, uh, so they do barrel racing, and I actually raced him a few times um, around the barrels in uh, some local fairs. And uh, won first place one time, which was pretty amazing. Excellent, <laughs> yeah. excellent. So when we stay in that way, way back machine, I ask every single guest that we've had on this show from. Sarah Jessica Parker to Peter Berg. I ask everybody, but JT Lewis, what was your first car? Well, I guess my first car is my horse, right? <laughs> but then after that, the first car was actually a Hummer. A Hummer? Yeah, from a family right, you friend. you got to tell me more about this. You're the first person I've had that said their first car was a Hummer. Really? Yeah. So uh, a Hummer's great for a young kid because you can crash it into anything and it still runs, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what I found out uh, early on. Now, the Hummer's been great. Um, got it from a family friend. Um, 
you know, it's it's a little more expensive to fix up when it goes when something goes wrong. But the Hummer's been great. Yeah. What color is the Hummer? The Hummer's white. A white Hummer. Yeah. Wow. An H three Hummer. And do you take it off road ever on the farm? You know, I took it off roading recently with my friend who had a Jeep, and it doesn't hold up like the Jeeps. No, I've driven. You don't both. take those off road. <laughs> I've driven both. I've driven a Hummer in the army, and then when I got out of the army, I bought a Jeep. Mm. And I think people would be surprised unless you've driven both that the Jeep is. Much more nimble, yeah, and, oh, absolutely. The Hummer and much more fun, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I just left my car parked and we took the Jeep out for the rest of the day. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, can Jesse, you're you're running in Connecticut, um, you're running as a Republican, yeah. And we talk on this show a lot about um, how many people in this country I think feel kind of lost when it comes to party, yeah. And we've got folks that are listening that are a party in, shouldn't perfectly fit you i mean that's, yeah so that's how i want to i want to i want to get more of your thoughts on that because a lot of folks are unaffiliated or independent but we've got democrats we've got republicans we've got libertarians we've got everybody listening but um why did you decide to run for state senate mm-hmm. why why that office yeah. and why did you decide to run as a republican sure well i mean i've always held the republican views my entire life I've, i have those beliefs deeply entrenched in me i mean i've i've always been a republican i always knew that um, and as far as challenging the current state senator, Tony Wong, that is because we made that phone call to him after my brother was killed. And my mom had this new program uh, that that would have prevented more violence earlier on. I mean, it is now doing amazing. I mean, the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement is over a million kids reached 68 countries, all 50 states. Uh, and that's that's amazing. But it should have been sooner. It should have been earlier on. And we, we made that phone call to our state senator and he never returned the call. And that's why I'm getting into it now. I'm, I'm old enough. I've worked on a national level with two presidents, um, creating uh, legislation for school safety and uh, writing um, the, the federal school safety report with President Trump, which is amazing. Um, and now I'm ready to, to help Connecticut. Because I really do believe that Connecticut has a platform, having had the shooting, uh, the Sandy Oak shooting, that we have a, a huge platform right now to enact positive change across the country. Everyone's looking at what Connecticut did after that. We didn't really do much. Mm. And uh, that, that's where I am right now. That's why I'm running. And obviously that that leader in particular seriously failed before and after the shooting. Now, State Senate in Connecticut's a part-time job, right? It's a yeah. half job. They make, what, $40,000 a year or mm, something like 28. that? 28. Okay, yeah. thank you. That's even less. But you're going to be um, in college. Yeah, absolutely. You're, so I, You're I, still in college. I go to UConn stores right now, the main campus. Uh, when I win, I'll be going to Yukon Waterbury, which is about a 25-minute drive from my house and taking night classes. Now, state senators, it is a part-time job. The current guy uh, is a realtor during the day. And so it's, it's not going to be a problem taking a few classes and putting a huge focus on the state senate. I think I'll be more focused uh, as someone young with full, full of energy, ready to go, ready to uh, serve the district. And you're going to return people's phone calls. Yeah, absolutely. It should be easy to do. If, I mean, it's not like he's the, 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 uh, the U.S. senator and he's getting thousands and thousands of phone calls. No, the right? way I looked at it, I mean, I understand he's got, a, he's got a big job, but the way I look at it, if someone loses their brother, their son in your district, you return that phone call first and foremost. So I, I asked you before we sat down if you were um, comfortable talking about Jesse's story. Yeah. Can you, you know, people saw it on TV, right? Mm. They saw um, the 2012 shooting at Sandy Hook, 20 kids, right? Yeah. Killed. And 21st graders. 21st graders. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think the country felt like that one, that shooting was different. Yeah. And in retrospect, I still think it was. I hope that it was. But what, what do you want people who 
watched it on TV, who didn't live it. What do you want them to know about your experience and yeah. your family's experience in those days well, that it, wasn't on TV, that wasn't in the news? I have two, two things. First of all, uh, what, what you need to know, what's going on right now in Dayton and across the country and all these different shootings, uh, there's something called the reunification process. And this is a place where you go to be reunited with your family. For us, that was the firehouse right outside of the Sandy Hook Elementary School. This is where you have SWAT, military, police, first responders, ambulances. I mean, there were bodies being driven out on ambulances when we were there. Uh, this is where you go to reunite with your family members. And I remember being taken there uh, by, uh, I think my grandfather, uh, my mom thought it'd be a happy moment. We'll be reunited with Jesse and we'll go out and have dinner. And that's how she told the story. Uh, what happened was we sat there for about six hours. Um, no information. I mean, all this chaos going on around us. And uh, finally, someone came over in a monotone voice, just said, you know, your, your kid's dead. And that was that. I mean, that's, that's what the horrifying uh, image that's going on right now across the country. Every time there's a shooting, 22 people killed, nine people killed, all those families forever, you know, their lives forever turned upside down. And that's horrible. And so that's, you know, my, my heart goes out to them. That's awful. And that's why I'm here trying to make a difference, trying to make sure these things don't happen. Now, the other story is, and this is much lesser known, um, during the shooting, Jesse was actually a hero. Uh, Jesse saved nine of his classmates. And that was the shooter entered his classroom and fired a few bullets and the gun jammed. And in that interval, Jesse yelled out to his frightened, huddled classmates to run. And nine of them ran out of the classroom. This is all documented in an FBI report. Nine of them ran and he saved their lives. And they've all credited him, him with that. And, uh, but he stayed back to defend his teacher and he was, he was eventually killed. Um, he's six years old. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story. And the, the most amazing part is uh, we actually shared that story with President Obama a few days after the shooting. And he got tearful and he, you know, it was an amazing, he said, I, I can tell your boy was a, uh, was a hero looking at his picture. We shared that story with President Trump a few years later and he got so emotional that he brought us back to the Oval Office for a private moment um, to, to thank Jesse for his heroism, basically. Um, so a story like that can unite two men that frankly hate each other. I mean, these are two guys who uh, you could not find one thing to connect them. Uh, but we did that story. And I think I can use that story as a state senator with that, that uh, position to bring people to the table who otherwise would never talk to each other, um, who otherwise would never communicate. And that's how we get things done. And, and that's something I think I can do. You already are. Yeah, thank you. you. You already are, man. And there's nobody who's going to hear that story and hear your words. It's not going to be forever changed. Um, as a as a father of two young boys, you know, I I pray and hope and 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 wish that my you know sons will will show the kind of courage and be the kind of boys that you and your brother thank you. are really and nice. were. Um, and you know, heroism comes in a, in a lot of forms, man. But but I think we, we have to tell Jesse's story. Yeah, we have to know what he did in those moments and what he did before. Yeah, you know, the person that he was and what his memory continues to do today. Yeah, I, I mentioned to you that you know in my work at IAVA, um, I've learned a lot about being around people who are experts in loss and trauma. And Bonnie Carroll from the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors is a great mentor of mine. And she's dealt with so many people who've lost loved ones to a variety of different tragedies. But she's always told me, you know, we mourn their passing, but we celebrate their life. Yeah. You know, we, Jesse's funeral, we call it a celebration of his life. And that's, that's what it was. Um, we had family gathering. We released balloons and we celebrated the, uh, the kid that he was and the actions 
that he that he took to save his classmates and that's that's what we try to make his life about and what it continues to be today through my mom's work can you again if you're comfortable jt can you yeah. share what kind of kid jesse was you yeah know, he his, was oftentimes your life is defined by that moment but he was the kid on patrol he was the he kid was, on the he farm. was a loud obnoxious kid uh, <laughs> running around the house um always irritated me he was just he was loud full of energy um but a great kid always always there always uh very loyal brother um yeah and that's that's what i remember about him this week the the shootings um happened well last week in northern california and then this week in el paso and in dayton yeah. and there was a powerful interview with anderson cooper talking to joe biden i don't know if you saw it but they asked joe biden who has been through so much loss losing yeah. kids twice Absolutely. Um, they asked him what kind of message he has for the families right now mm. who are, you know, at that bottom of despair right now, you know, those families are having the worst day of their life yeah. in the same way you did in 2012. Um, what's your message for them if they're listening to this and they don't know how they can go on, frankly? Yeah. You're, you're an inspiration to them. You're a role model for them. But what do you what do you tell someone else who's in your shoes right now? As an amazing story. When I was in that place, about a week after the shooting, uh, in my room, hadn't gone back to school, very depressed. Um, I'm in. I was in the exact same place that they were. Now I was fortunate enough that you know through a family connection, we had orphan genocide survivors from Rwanda reach out to me via Skype. Yeah, these are kids that had wow. lost their entire families in the 1994 genocide. Over a million people killed in Rwanda. Uh, and they reached out to me, you know, they lived off of grass in the hills, watching their families killed. Betty was buried alive with her family um, and they were dead. Uh, they reached out and their message was hope, you know, that you will, you will get better. You will get through this. A message that no one else could convey to us because no one else had been through something like that. But these are kids that had been through a tragedy, you know, much larger in scale, million people. Uh, and, you know, I took that message and I went back to school, that message of hope went back to school uh, finally, I mean, about a, two weeks later after the shooting, and they started raising money to send Betty to college for a year. And a month later, we Skyped back and we had a big announcement party. Uh, we were sending her to college for a year and also paying for her eight younger siblings that she was a sole provider for. Now this thing took off. And, and this is a, a story of turning this grief, this tragedy into something positive and what I'm trying to do even to this day. But this story took off. Uh, Tony Robbins came on board and he donated the money to send her to college for the rest of the, the four years. Uh, we've sent Matthew to college for four years. We've built poultry farms and, and uh, fish ponds in, in Uganda for former child soldiers. Uh, we've helped the, the kids of car crash victims in Connecticut, even where I'm running. Uh, and this is, this is something that's gone all over. You know, at, at 12 years old, I raised and, and donated $35,000. And that was a healing process unlike no other. Nothing a therapist and could two do. Two weeks afterward. Two, two weeks, weeks after, after you were you were already helping others. And, well, you know, and, I don't look at it that way. It. I was helping myself. I mean, doing something for others was was helping myself, and and it's what these families, unfortunately, they have a new they have a new life, and it's something that they're going to have to do. You know, after the shooting in Sandy Hook, pretty much every family started a mission. I mean, they started different foundations and charities, and they do great work. And I, I can't even imagine all the lives that they've touched, all the lives that they've saved after Sandy Hook. And that's something that's going to happen here in Dayton and El Paso as well. You are a force, man. And uh, as we're talking, there's literally a thunderstorm rolling through. And I feel like that's what your story is. It's, like a <laughs> it's rolling across this country. And the more people hear it, the more people are going to be 
swept up in it and, and want to support you. Um, JT, I ask every, every guest I have, you know, three questions and, and I've asked you the car question already, yeah. <laughs> but, um, the, the second question I want to ask you is, you know, JT Lewis, what makes you angry? What makes me angry is every time I see one of these shootings happen, because I, again, I know what those families are going through lives forever turned upside down, just like ours was, you know, we were able to make something positive out of it, but I'm never going to see my brother again. That's the end of the day. Um, and it makes me mad when I see it happen because there's something we can do, you know, there's answers. Now that's whether we go mental health or we, we make the school safer. Uh, there's things we can do and our politicians are letting us down both sides. Honestly, we're both focused. We're all focused on the wrong thing. Look, we want the same thing. We want kids safe in school. We want communities safe. We're coming at it from two different angles. I don't know why we can't just sit down and have that conversation. And again, that's something I'm going to be able to, to intermediate. I'm going to be able to bring people to the table that's never happened before. We're going to get things done uh, in Connecticut that are going to shine throughout the rest of the country. And the rest of the country is going to come on board with it. After um, years ago, we lost a, a dear friend of ours, Clay Hunt, to suicide. And um, I went and sat down with his mom and stepdad on the anniversary of his passing. And um, I asked her if we could name a piece of legislation after him and if we could launch this campaign in his honor and in his memory. And I asked her if she would be part of it. And she said, um, yes. And she said, I'm tired of mourning. I'm ready to get to work. Yeah. And she was an inspiration for so many of us. And she's on a path that's very similar to yours, where she went from you know, never being involved in politics to testifying before Congress, being on CNN, you know, yeah. being all, all, all over the place. And I think it's really an inspiration for people who want to see people power. Yeah. But when you look at, JT, when you look at the moment right now, there's a debate in this country about whether or not the Senate should come back. They're on recess right now, not scheduled to come back until September. Yeah. Do you think they should come back? Look, I'll be honest with you. I'm a Republican, but I think they should come back. Look, the American people made their decision on November, 8, uh, November 3rd, 2018. We elected a new Congress, and I think that they should have their, their day, the American people, that they should vote. I'm a Republican. I might not agree with all of the legislation they're, they're putting up, but it is America's decision. And so obviously they should reconvene and, and have that vote. I mean, that's what they're getting paid to do. Yeah, and specifically, it sounds like you know, Trump is going to press for uh, a red flag law. Yeah. And would love to get your reactions to that. And sure. then specifically, the debate is around an assault weapons ban. Mm -hmm. um, that will be a, a key sticking point and background checks. Mm -hmm. So it seems like maybe one of those three things might get through red flags, background checks or an assault weapons ban. Okay. You know, what do you think about those three pieces? Your personal experience so, President Trump called you up right now and said, what do you think about, you know, red flag? He might, law? you never know. He might. I hope he does. Yeah, yeah I, hope I hope he does, he does too. Um, so the red flag law is, is interesting. Uh, in Sandy Hook, the shooter, when he was in first grade in the same classroom that my brother was in, uh, he wrote something called the Book of Granny. And this was a book about a witch who had a broomstick that opened up into a semi-automatic rifle and killed kids. And the teachers got a hold of this book and they knew that he was having these disturbed thoughts and they didn't do anything. Now there's something you could do right then and there, stop what happened about 15 years later. Could have done something right then and there. Now in the Parkland case, he made videos uh, about how he wanted to be famous. He wanted uh, his, his face and name all over the news, and he was going to kill kids to make that happen. And there's, there's warning signs. The FBI was tipped off twice about him. The police had visited his house 30 times in Parkland. There's always warnings. They always leave behind warnings. You look at their social media, 
Now, if we can be on top of that, and that's what I think the president is looking at. Obviously, he's looking at that as a distraction from any gun laws, which I might not support. But it is it is very important that that red flag legislation, and uh, I think that's something very important. Yeah, absolutely. JT, how do you feel about the um, background checks and the background and the gun, checks and gun, something the gun show loophole, in, yeah. specifically, and the assault weapons ban? Where do you stand on those? So what I've heard is that the background checks wouldn't have stopped any of the most recent shootings. But they are important because shootings go on all, you know, every day, all day, whether or not we see them in the news. Um, so obviously legislation like that is supported by about 90% of America. I don't know why we can't take a vote uh, on that. Um, yeah, that, those are very important. Now, they won't stop these big shootings, of course, but uh, they are important for those day-to-day -day, uh, incidents, for sure. So one thing, uh, and at times I want to, let's take a breath. Yeah. Because I need one. You may need one. Folks listening probably need one we can have a sip of coke this is a time when maybe i wish we had some whiskey for ourselves but we'll get to that when you when you turn when you turn 21 i'll I come wanna, back on the show i want to be among yeah i hope you will come back and by then you will be you know state, uh, state senator. senator lewis maybe much more uh you only need to be 35 to run for president so that's going to be a long wait for us but one thing i saw gt you know folks should follow you on twitter you, you've been great on twitter um, and I know you're going to be responsive to people all across the country who hear this. But one thing I saw you do was call out the media, mm. and, which was very powerful. And you said, you know, don't mention the shooter's name. Don't yeah. name the name. And I saw, I think, Jake Tapper and uh, Chris Cuomo yeah. responded on Twitter to you personally. Yeah. Can you talk about why you think that's important? Absolutely. There's, there's a ton of research into this, too. Um, shooter, there are a lot of copycat shooters. Uh, most of them actually are, you can find them on Columbine uh, forums online and they, they're obsessed with shootings um, and they're, they're, they want their, their name and their image and their day in the news. And so they do copycat shootings. Um, and that's something that the media is helping, unfortunately, and I'm not sure what we can do about it, but the media is helping with that because they put their face and they put their image all over when they release an article about the shooting, about the shooter. Uh, they have their face and their name right there. And that's exactly what they want. And the next shooter is looking at that saying, you know, that that's where I'm going to be one day if I, if I pull off a mass shooting. Uh, so I, I called out, frankly, the, the media in general, but I put up a CNN article where they used the shooter's face and name. Uh, this was in a, uh, a Texas shooting about a year ago. And Chris Cuomo and Jake Tapper responded and they're, they've made it, uh, They've promised that their shows will not use it as, as much as they have in the past. And for that, I really appreciate CNN. Obviously, I'm doing the town hall tonight with them. Uh, so they've been very receptive to this idea. Fox needs to get on board, too, obviously. They, they've had some problems with that, but I think we're going to sort it out there, too. Obviously, this is very important because you could save lives in the media yeah. by not putting this face and image all over the place. Do you, one other thing I want to drill down on, because you're, you're young, you're 19. Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of blame thrown around in the last couple of, of days. And one argument that I saw come back around is mental health. I think we've covered that a little bit. And it's very important to me as someone who's worked in the mental health community that people understand that this is, a, I think, a very dangerous place for us to be wandering into because it can perpetuate the stigma around mental health. People mm -hmm. who have mental health issues, who have mental health trauma, who've suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, they're more likely to hurt themselves than others. Yeah. So I think we've got to be really thoughtful and, and delicate about how we talk about that. In my work at IAVA, one of the, the pieces of legislation we actually opposed in New York would have required people with post-traumatic stress disorder who were applying for gun permits to declare 
which may sound like not a big deal unless you think about the fact that if you ever want to get a gun, you're never going to say you have PTSD. Yeah. It's going to stop people from getting help. It's going to stop people from coming forward. And it has to be approached very delicately and I think with a level of expertise. But um, do you have thoughts on the mental health piece? And in particular, and, and also video games. Now yeah. this argument's come back around. I feel like we're living in I only play Madden. You so. only play Madden? <laughs> yeah, so I can't really tell you about the video games. But as far as the mental health, the thing that I've been very frustrated with recently is that a lot of these prominent Democrats are coming out and saying, hey, it's not mental health. These are sane people. Uh, they're just, the only thing we need to fix is the gun part. That's, that's ridiculous. Someone asked me that the other day. Uh, and I, my response was, do you think that a mentally sane person will walk into a crowd and kill people? Of course not. There's some sort of, uh, something in their past went wrong, or that's abuse from a parent or a relative. Something went wrong. It's not a snap. These, these people plan it for, for months and years. It's, I don't want to hear it's a snap. I don't want to hear that they're mentally sound. That's ridiculous. Obviously, we need to put a, a big focus on mental health for sure. And, and as far as the yeah, blame, video games, I, w- I want to focus on this because the okay. president actually said it, right? And then yeah. um, Maria Bartiromo from CNBC was interviewing Kevin McCarthy, the minority whip. And, you know, video games, people play video games all around the world. I grew up playing video games. A lot of other people grew up playing video games, playing first shooter games. Yeah, I have, and and one thing that I think people who don't understand games don't fully understand is that it's also a community. Mm-hmm. It's a place for connection. You know, yeah. and sometimes the only source of connection. Now, it does, in my view, dehumanize uh, life in some ways, and it's something to think about. But the idea that you know everybody in the world has video games, and everybody in the world plays Call of Duty and all the other video games. And the hypocrisy the only- is these video games and these violent yeah. movies are coming from Hollywood, a very right. left-leaning group. I mean, if they want to change it, go right ahead and change it. That's not something that you can legislate, of course, because it's a free speech issue. But we're the only country that has a shooting problem like this, right? The right. whole world plays video games, watches those movies. Yeah. We're the only ones that have this problem. So do you think video games are part of the problem here? You know what? It's hard to say. I'd like to see some research on it, of course. Uh, I'd like to see. Obviously, these shooters are you know, cooped up in their basements playing video games most of the time. So of course, that might uh, be a, be a factor in it. I, that's all they do is they shoot people in video games. I mean, maybe that translates to real life. Uh, it's hard to think that video games, something you're, like you said, worldwide, um, everyone plays on. I play, all my friends play. We're not going to go do something like that. Um, you have to be mentally deranged. And maybe that coupled with the video games and that coupled with abuse all plays a factor in these shootings. Yeah. Yeah. And so you but play- I'm not going to, what am what I going to do? Uh, stop selling video games, stop selling movies. I mean, it's, it's not possible. So I'd like to focus on attainable solutions. And that's by my message from day one. Do you think, is there a politician that you feel is getting this right from either party? Um, so know, I will say Chris Smith is coming for us. Chris Murphy out of Connecticut has been a lead, has been a leading voice in the gun control um, debate. You know, there've been other folks on the right. Is there anybody that you look to that says, you know, that's a person that I think is getting it right or moving right. in the right direction? So two two point ways to come at that. Uh, people are mad at President Trump right now. People were mad at President Obama during the, his years for these shootings. Maybe we're looking at the wrong people to enact change. Maybe we shouldn't be looking at just the president. To, to get these big things done. Maybe that's something that has to be grassroots. And that's, that's where I am right now. At a, you know, small district in Connecticut, I think I can do something big, uh, something that our presidents, frankly, haven't. Now, that being said, President Obama was very instrumental in getting my mom's program off the ground. He did return the phone call. He did get us connected with the right people. President Trump you know, included her ideas, number one, in his federal school safety report. So there are things that they're doing right. Obviously, these are good people that care. I mean, they want something done. They don't want to see kids killed 
uh, in communities and in school and people. Um, but maybe we're looking at the wrong people to do big, big things. Uh, obviously, we are, because for the past 20 years since Columbine, everyone's looked to the president. And have we seen any change? We're looking at the wrong place. I think you're right, man. And, and I think a lot of folks are looking to you. And I, look, I think I'm old now, right? I'm 44. Now, it's hard for me to accept that. But, you know, there, there have been a lot of folks talking down to your generation, mm-hmm. you know, saying that you guys are, you know, you know, you're disconnected. You don't care about anybody but yourself, all that. I've challenged folks who say that to look at the post 9-11 generation. Mm-hmm. You know, there are guys and gals your age that are in Afghanistan right now. You're helping people in Rwanda. I think your generation has a potential to be a next greatest generation, right? Yeah. You all were born. We're a very tough generation. You are, nine, right? And, and I generation. think you guys across the board of all political spectrums, there's this wave of activism mm. coming out of everywhere, it seems like, right? That's been one of my leading messages is that if a 19-year-old can do it and challenge a 55-year-old, so a uh, senator who's been in legislature for 10 years, anyone can do it. Uh, and maybe that'll get them off their asses, frankly, and maybe they'll do something positive. And that's yeah. that's... What is happening right now today? You are also, man, I hope you write a book if, if you're not already working on one because you're also having a wild ride, man. You told me For before sure. we came in, you, you, you're talking, you know, matter-of-factly about having met Trump and Obama. Yeah. Not too many people who've met both those guys. <laughs> yeah, no, it's right? for sure. So, what, you know, what is that like and how are you keeping yourself, you know, grounded and focused? So you told me on the way in that you, uh, you got a message from Billy Ray Cyrus yeah right so like you don't know who's big people yeah you don't know who's gonna pop up in your in your twitter feed or your inbox but um you know do do you see this incredible reaction you're getting from all over the place man yeah absolutely it's it's inspiring me to do something like this to make a run like this i have all these big voices you know behind me um you know it was funny actually uh, i had a friend come over he was donating to the campaign his family uh and i we had a conversation and afterwards my girlfriend was like that was a little awkward i was like well She's maybe it's because you're only talking to presidents now. You know, <laughs> what's it like talking to another nineteen-year-old? Uh, and so that those kind of those grounding moments, uh, you kind of realize where you started and where you've come, uh, and all the, the work you've put in and, and the new experiences you've had. It's it's been an amazing ride for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I always encourage people to think about the fact you know, if anybody wants to dismiss somebody who's nineteen, I mean, there are plenty of people who got drafted. For Vietnam in 19, you know, who went to World War II when they were 16. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this idea that, that age is going to be a determining factor around leadership is pretty naive, yeah. I think. Um, and, and your dynamism is, is transcending age in such a really, really powerful way, man. But, you know, something we covered that I want to get your opinion on, because you're, you're 19, I, mm. I was very critical of a bill that Mitch McConnell put forward that was going to um, basically change adulthood. He said that you couldn't access tobacco unless you were 21. Um, and you can't drink till you're 21, but you can vote when you're 18. Yeah. You can run for state senate when you're 19. You can go so to you, war at 18. You can go to war at 18, but you yeah. can't come home and have a beer. Right. So how, no, do, you I feel, think that's how ridiculous. do you feel about that? Do you feel like there should be one age for adulthood in America? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Maybe 18 is the age for adulthood and all those things become legal. I don't drink personally, but I think that if we're going to send kids off, and I think this is a very commonly held uh, perception that if you're going to send people off to fight for you uh, across the world, 6,000 miles away, you should let them have a beer at home. Um, That's pretty simple. And uh, tobacco, I don't think there should be legislation on that. I mean, that's, I don't think it's good for you, but uh, if you want to put that in your body, that's your own prerogative. Uh, Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, 
I don't think it's the federal government's job to come in and legislate that kind of. I think stuff. that's important, you know, and that's where I see a lot of hypocrisy in government on both sides, right? I mean, you, you see folks who, um, I, you know, the concept of freedom is one that is awesome, often, I think, manipulated and misinterpreted in politics, right? Mm -hmm. And if Mitch McConnell, you know, wants to talk about freedom, but at the same time says, a, you know, a 19-year-old machine gunner in the Marine Corps can't have a dip of tobacco. Mm -hmm. Now, not that I'm promoting tobacco, but to have the option as an adult, to be treated as an adult across the board, I yeah. think is something that we need to think about as a country when your generation has so much leadership and capacity. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're uh, kind of coming after my generation right now. Yeah. And uh, that's not going to work out well for them. You know what's funny is uh, Senator- It's not going to work out well for them. Absolutely I like not. how you just subtly I say mean, that. I mean, we can wait them out, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, the uh, state senator um, who I'm running against actually came to the high school uh, where I attend, and his message was that you need to get more involved in politics. And here I am. And yeah. I'm sure he's regretting that message, right? And he's one of the only, one of the few who, who encourage our generation to get involved. But here I am and uh, ready to make a difference. Yeah, and you are, man. So I want to ask you the, the, the last question that I ask every single person I've ever had on this show. Um, you know, you have a light about you, JT. Man, you've been through so much more than a lot of people have been through in their life, but you still bring a light and you bring a positivity and you bring a, a great energy to everyone who comes into your orbit. But JT Lewis, what's, what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Uh, in days where I'm just kind of home, uh, kind of doing my own thing. I'm not you know, on TV. I'm not meeting with presidents. Uh, I'm just kind of sitting back and looking at all the work I've done. Um, one, of the, one of the most happy moments in my life was when we actually Skyped back to Betty. And keep in mind, this was uh, a month after the shooting, a month after I lost my brother. One of the more happy moments in my life. We were able to sit there, the whole family gathered, um, minus my brother, of course, and Skype this young girl in Rwanda, 4,000 miles away, uh, and tell her that she was going to college. Her life was forever changed that day. Something easy. I, I sold bracelets at school for a couple weeks. I mean, it was easy on my part. Um, and I changed her life forever. You know, everyone that contributed to that did. And that was an amazing moment. And then about two years later, we actually went to Rwanda and we met Betty and we met Matthew. We met that whole delegation of students uh, who we were able to help and who helped me in the beginning. Uh, and that was an amazing moment. There's, there's an amazing moment where I'm just sitting with them, talking with them in Rwanda, in the middle of Africa. Uh, I, I look back at the journey that you've taken and you, 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 where you are, and that was an amazing moment. Mm. I, I've asked this of a lot of guests too, JT, but you know, some folks are having a hard time. We've talked specifically about folks who are... Um, you know, survivors of shootings and who have had personal loss. Um, but on a, on a very basic level, your message is a message of, of inspiration. Mm. So for folks who are having a hard time or they feel scared in America right now, yeah. or they feel worried, um, what, is, what is your message to them? And also, I'm a parent, man. And a lot of folks who are listening are parents and want to be parents. Your mom got it right, man. What did yeah. your mom do? That Look made again, you such an impressive she was, young man. She was a single mom. She did this all herself. Um, it, is, it is amazing to see. I, I understand that I'm a little tougher than a lot of other people. Obviously, that's because of the experiences that, that I've went through, that I've gone through. Um, and it, I'm very blessed to have had a strong role model like my mom and others in my life um, that have guided me to become a strong person who can do something like that, who can take the criticism uh, that you'll get running for state senate 
on such a, a personal message. Um, and so I'm very thankful to my mom. I think having a good parent is all, makes all the difference. It, it puts you on the right track. Uh, and so I'm happy for your kids that they have a good father. Uh, my mom did a great job with us, obviously, um, <clears throat> especially with my brother. I mean, he saved nine classmates. That's unheard of. Uh, and so obviously parenting is a big, a big part of it. I hope to one day be a good dad uh, and do the same thing, leave a legacy like that. You will be, man. Don't don't worry about that. But you got a lot of lot to do. We do before for sure. then. So I want to I want to be really direct with people because we've had, uh, you know, last week or a couple weeks ago we had Amy McGrath on, who was a Democrat, yeah. who was a, a Marine Corps fighter pilot. We've got you on today, challenging you're, Mitch you're, McConnell for a similar reason, right? Right. Yeah. Didn't return a letter. And I this, mean, it's you got it. And yeah. the, and this show and this movement and this community is about standing up for people who are standing up and mm-hmm. having their back and understanding that patriotism is bigger than party and uh that we need to rally around the leaders who have courage and determination and inspiration and the four eyes that i talk about a lot but um i want to be really direct if people want to support your campaign this is gonna be the easiest question you better get good at this one but if people want to support your campaign jt what should they do they should go to jt4ct.org you're going to get my announcement video there you're going to see the district i represent there's a way to donate. <clears throat> you can get in touch with me. I'll answer any questions you have uh, via email. Uh, I, really, I really appreciate the support that I'm getting. I'm getting support from across the country. It's been amazing. I mean, I turned my phone and I got a message from Billy Ray Cyrus. We were talking about that. Um, he watched an interview, an odd interview I did. Uh, and so the message is spreading across the country and it's actually waking people up, which I really appreciate that you know, the politicians need to start getting their act together or other people will come in who know, who know what they're doing, frankly, better than these guys. Yeah. And I hope, I hope, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, who's, you know, old country road is everywhere, right? Like maybe they need to do a JT Lewis remix. Honestly, old country I, I, road. I'm up for that. A little Nas. Yeah. We'll get Nas in here with Billy Ray Cyrus, do a fundraiser for you. Let's do that for really? sure. Yeah. All right. You know, if you're con- listening, folks, we're marking on your calendar. Stay in touch. Follow us on Twitter, social media. We will be letting you know about the, the JT Lewis super party. Uh, let's stay do tuned it. Let's, for get, let's get Kanye in here too. He's retweeted me. You well. know Kanye too. Well, you know, just, you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Not a, a big deal, right? <laughs> dude, I mean, bringing people together. JT Lewis, the, the, yeah. uni- the unifier. That's what it should That's, be, right? That's what I'm going for. Yeah. yeah. Before, before we wrap, man, I got a, a, another tradition of this show, which is the giving of the gifts. Mm. Uh, so every guest gets uh, a bag of goodies. And so here you are. And keep the mic next to your face. But That's really there's nice. three different kinds of gifts in there. All right, let's do it. Um, and this was a tough one. So first of all, this is easy. This is some uh, Angry Americans merchandise made by veterans in Chicago. Wow. Oscar Mike. So check that out. I want to wear this on the uh, CNN town hall tonight, but I think they'll yell at me, right? Dude, I don't know. Cuomo's always wearing t-shirts trying to flex his biceps. So, so. Yeah, I'll wear it over a suit. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Do okay. it. Do it. Do it. Do it, do really it after nice. hours, right? That's really but, nice. But that's for you. And if folks want to check that out, you go to Angry Americans US and get the same uh, shirts you got there. And then if you go Absolutely. in the bag, JT, this is, uh, you'll, before you get to the bottle, but there is- Can I uh, open the candy first? There's three <laughs> kinds of peeps. All right. We've asked every guest this all through the show, since the show started. We have yellow peeps, blue peeps, and pink peeps. No. If you had to pick one color, which one would you pick and why? Oh, I'd of course go with the yellow, yellow because it's the original. And uh, I don't, you know, obviously I don't try to mix things up, right? I'm not, I'm not different at all, right? So I go with the original yellow peeps. <laughs> you, you are a classic reborn, man. You're, 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 you're a renaissance man and a retro man. But like you, uh, you, know, you, you almost had the same answer as Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, really? Who, said, who called the yellow peeps the OG of peeps. Okay. 
I mean, they're the only ones that taste good. And I hope I don't offend people and lose voters with that statement. Don't worry about offending people with what you eat, man. You eat whatever the hell you want because you're going to get all kinds of people and all kinds of peeps. All right, last last gift is in the bag. This was a hard one. So I usually give every guest an American-made whiskey. I don't think I can legally do that. Mitch McConnell might come after me or yeah, whoever I don't might get you in so trouble. What I got for you there is a, a Martinelli's uh, sparkling apple champagne. And here's the deal. When you win, you have to pop that. Okay. Right? When you win, you pop that, 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 that bottle. And then when you turn 21, we can talk later. There but in the go. meantime, this is a non-alcoholic <laughs> alternative for you as a young man. And since you don't drink, Martinelli's gold medal, because you're going to win lots of gold medals here. Uh, sure. And it's celebrating 150 years. I don't know if you've ever had Martinelli's or you knew that they've been around for 150 years. Of course. Yes, Martinelli's. And hopefully, <laughs> my you, favorite cider. Your favorite, your message will be around for a long time. But um, before we wrap, JT, any, any last message you want to put out there to folks who are listening? You know, we've talked about a lot of things. You've been so gracious covering a lot, and you've got such a big week coming up. But any, any other thoughts in your mind or any other messages you want to put out for folks who are listening? Yeah, the biggest message, obviously, has been that, you know, very simply, if a 19 year old can do it, anyone can do it. If a 19 year old, or 12-year-old at the time, could start Newtown Helps Rwanda and raise money for kids across the world that he doesn't even know. Anyone can do it. If a 19-year-old can you know, work with two presidents to get school safety legislation and funding passed, anyone can do it. And if a 19-year-old can run for state senate and challenge uh, weak leadership, anyone can do it. And uh, that's, that's a message I think I'm spreading hopefully very well. Uh, and I hope I'm waking up other young people. And there is a big movement for young people to get involved. Now, it's not just young people. Anyone should be involved in this movement, challenging weak leadership. Uh, and that's a message that I'm spreading right now. Well, we're going to do all we can to spread it. Uh, I appreciate and that. And we're going to you know, scream this from the mountaintops. You know, JT Lewis, you are the best of what this country is all about. That's really nice. We talk about uh, angry Americans being righteous Americans, the kind of folks who founded this country and drove the civil rights movement and now are stepping up at this critical time. But your, your courage, your determination, your character is what makes this country great and is going to make this country um, even better going forward. Mm. You're, you're a true patriot, man. And, and I know uh, that your mom's proud of you. And I know Jesse would be proud of you. Thank you. And you're carrying on the legacy of your brother and your family. Um, when I was playing football, a coach used to always tell me, you know, remember the name on your jersey, your family name's on the back of your jersey. Yeah. And I think your, your family is very proud of you, and all of America's proud of you, man. Thank you. That's really nice. This, yeah. is, this has been, I think, the most important interview we've ever had on this show. Wow. And, uh, and we're going to have you back, man. I, I can't wait. I love the place you have here, Classic Car Club. <laughs> Wow. That's it. All right, I'm going to take uh, JT to go uh, ride whatever car he wants, and then he's <laughs> off to CNN. But look for him everywhere. Follow him on Twitter. This is the first you may be hearing from JT Lewis, but definitely not the last. There you go. Uh, Paul Rykoff coming to you from the Classic Car Club in Manhattan. Thanks for joining us. It's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony, whatever, into positive impact. Every show, I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels that energy, makes you feel good, and does some good. And like this show... The action's always packed with the four eyes: integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Whenever there's trouble, look for the heroes. 
and look for the helpers. No matter how bad the situation, they're always there. You know, my mother used to say a long time ago, whenever there would be any really catastrophe that was on the, in the movies or, or on the air, she would say, always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. That's why I think that if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams, of, of showing who, uh, medical people, anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy, to be, to be sure that they include that. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. J.T. Lewis is one of the helpers. His amazing mother, Scarlett, is one of the helpers. The cops that ran in to save others in Dayton, who took down the shooter just 60 seconds after he started shooting, they were the helpers. The army vet in El Paso, he was one of the helpers. But not all the helpers survive. That's the tragic truth. But their memories can live on and inspire others. That's what little Jesse Lewis has done. A little seven-year-old Jesse Lewis, who gave his life for other children in Newtown, he was one of the helpers. And in El Paso this week, there were two more. Jordan and Andre and Chato. They had celebrated their first anniversary just about a week ago. Jordan was 23, Andre 24. They just moved into a new home, painstakingly renovated by Andre. And two months ago, they gave birth to a new baby boy, Paul. This weekend, they went out for what they thought was just a normal day of shopping with that baby. And that day turned tragic. They had just dropped off their oldest daughter at cheerleading practice. And they pulled into the Walmart parking lot packed with hundreds of other back-to-school shoppers just like them. Jordan and Andre Enchado grabbed their two-month-old baby and headed inside. It was a busy day for the Enchados. Their daughter was having a birthday party, turning six, so they needed to buy some party decorations. In just a few hours, family and friends would be coming over to the couple's new home for the first time. And as we all now know, a gunman stormed in and started shooting. What you may not know is that Jordan shielded her baby from the gunfire and she was killed. And her husband, Andre, he tried to shield both of them and he was killed too. The young couple was killed protecting their son. They died, but he lived. Baby Paul escaped with a minor graze wound and two broken fingers. Fingers that were likely broken when his mother fell on him after she was shot. Baby Paul is a mass shooting orphan. A mass shooting orphan. Think about that. That's a thing now. And baby Paul has two sisters. All three of them are mass shooting orphans now. And right now, the Enchado family is exactly where J.T. Lewis was seven years ago when his little brother Jesse was killed. And now that family is trying to pick up the pieces and see how they can move forward. 
how they can raise the three little children the couple left behind. Skyland's five years old, Victoria's two, and the baby, Paul. Jordan and Andre are gone, but their kids are still here. And one day, those kids might grow up to be like J.T. Lewis. And they need our help. They need your help. There's now a verified GoFundMe page set up for the three children of Jordan and Andre and Chato. GoFundMe is guaranteeing that all the money will go to the family. So go to angryamericans.us for a link or go to the Angry Americans Facebook or Twitter pages and we'll have a link there. Or you can just Google it and find it yourself. We can't bring the parents back, but we can do our part to ensure that these kids have a better shot at a better future. We mourn the loss of Jordan and Andre and all the others that were lost this week in El Paso and in Dayton and everywhere else. We mourn their loss, but we celebrate their lives. And we can do that by supporting what they gave their lives to protect their kids. So please do what you can. And if you can't donate, just share the link and share their story. It's a small way to make a difference. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag Angry Americans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. Big thanks to a few folks that helped make this really important episode happen. First off, JT Lewis. He's incredible. And his awesome girlfriend, Sophia, who's also awesome. Big thanks to Rick Wilson for joining me. I hope I can get him in person for a deeper dive soon. Thanks to Mizzen in Maine, our sponsors of this show. Awesome people, awesome products. If you're in Miami, check out their brand new store that just opened in Coral Gables. They're having a grand opening celebration this week with free drinks and a free pocket square if you buy a shirt. So stop by and check out that store. It's at the shops at Merrick Park in Coral Gables. They also have stores in Dallas and Fort Worth and in Oklahoma City. Check them out if you live near there or online at mizzenamain.com. Big thanks to excellent Eric Schonborn, creative Chris Rosenthal, and the mighty Mercy Rich and our whole rock star team at Righteous Media. Love you guys and appreciate you very much. Bill Schultz for again producing this episode and doing his magic. You are a magician, man. And I hope the Stones concert this week was awesome. Oscar Mike, big thanks to you guys, our awesome merch partners. Check out all the new Angry Americans designs at angryamericans.us. Made in America always by veterans and super comfortable, super cool. Big thanks to the crew at Let's Get After It on Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, and especially Vicky Bergolina, Kelsey Nitra, Christine Whalen, and my friend Chris Cuomo. I'll be again guest hosting for Cuomo this Friday, August 9th on Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, and likely in days to come. Chris has been doing some great reporting from El Paso uh, and has been very supportive of this podcast and this entire community. And I'm going to have JT Lewis on with me again on Friday on the radio. So tune in and check that out if you're a SiriusXM subscriber or look for the clips. And I'll have a debate of the day again, and I'll take your calls. 
Um, big thanks to my wife, Lauren, and her business partner, Karen, and their entire team at Wiley Fox. That's their company. They rock, and they always have my back. Thank you, everybody at Wiley Fox. And it's time for Thank a Listener. Every week, I want to thank a few angry Americans for checking us out and supporting the movement. First up, Martha Jane King from Kentucky. She tweets it at Martha Jane King. Uh, she's been in our corner for a long time. She's a former state rep in the Kentucky House of Representatives. She's a military and veterans advocate. She's a transportation agent, a mom, a grandmother, a wife, a Christian, and a best friend. Martha Jane, thanks for having our back. Big thanks to Mike Tip Tipton, who tweets online at, at Wolvie6797. He's from Kansas. He's into astrophysics, uh, has bipolar one, is into industrial engineering, ADHD, 86 whiskey, PTSD, a philosophical cat. Uh, and Kinder Berlin Brigade. Uh, I don't know what that means, but he's been tweeting up a storm for us. Uh, Mike Tipton, big thanks to you, man. You've been all over the Twitter, cranking it out for Angry Americans. Much appreciated. We see you. Big thanks also to Charles the Hammer. Charles the Hammer, who tweets at D-E-R-K-O-N-I-G. Martin, he's a dog lover, an activist, a Cubs fan, a foodie, a history buff, borderline fanatic, veteran, amateur political BS detector. And he says some of his tweets are reverse psychology. I pull their bios from Twitter, so that's how I know so much about these people. But he said, based on the engagement on this subject, he thinks the next podcast should be a roundtable with various veterans giving their views on national issues. We all have different views, but love our country above party. And he loved the episode with Amy McGrath, and he even donated to support her. Uh, really appreciate that, man. Um, we see you out there, Charles. And Amy McGrath, you know, we had her on a couple weeks ago to represent uh, a, a new voice from the Democratic side. This week we had uh, J.T. Lewis on representing Republicans. We want to continue to expand those conversations and bring in people of all backgrounds. Big thanks to Patrick C. Fields from Wheaton, Illinois, who tweets it at Fields Duck. He is a husband, father, brother, Marine, and always a duck. Uh, hoping that I make today better than yesterday. And he says, yes, the mustache is real. Uh, he's always in our corner. And he tweeted something that was, was pretty interesting that I covered on the radio show. Um, Seth Moulton is running for Congress. He is a Marine. And he got sent a flag um, by somebody in the opposing party. And they sent him a flag uh, and a copy of the flag code. But they didn't fold it properly. So Seth Moulton called him out and said, hey, thanks, GOP, for mailing me the flag and a copy of the flag code. Next time, show some respect and fold it properly. But Patrick Fields is all over this. He's all over everything. And big shout out to you, man. Um, also, big thanks to Eric, who tweets at EGVND and oh, hey there 53 There's a whole crew of you that have been making some noise on Twitter about trying to get Mayor Pete Buttigieg on this show. And I appreciate you guys. I see you. They've been reaching out to Liz Smith, who is the communications director for Mayor Pete, constantly. They've been blowing up her Twitter feed. And I just want to thank you guys. I'd love to get Mayor Pete on this show. We'd love to get all the candidates on this show. And hopefully that'll happen. Uh, and it often will happen because people like you shout them out. So stay tuned for more on that. Very cool shit. And speaking of cool shit happening on Twitter, uh, after the recent episodes with Rob Sarah, he's gotten a lot of fans. Uh, and you may remember, in addition to being a firefighter, Rob also played on the New York City Fire Department hockey team. Well, thanks to the power of our community and the magic of Twitter, he's now in touch with the Chicago Police Hockey Club. 
Thanks to the Angry Americans community, the New York City Fire Department hockey team and the Chicago Police hockey team are now in touch, and they're trying to put together a charity hockey game, possibly to benefit our friends at the Ray Pfeiffer Foundation. How cool is that? I am 100% in. I am a shitty skater, so maybe I'll be goalie. But big shout out to Rob and anything we can do to support that happening, I am down. Big thanks to all of you. Thanks for all you do to support this show and support each other. And as always, thanks to my family, my amazing wife and my two boys. My wife is an entrepreneur. She started her own company from nothing in our kitchen. And every day she's working her ass off, building something impactful and showing me and everyone around us what the entrepreneurial spirit of this country is all about. She's been a powerful voice inside my family and inside my head on the gun issue. And it's very important to her. And she's made it important to every other person who didn't get it before. And her energy and her heart really helped guide me through this show, which I know is an especially important one for her. So thanks, babe, for keeping the flame. And thanks to my boys, of course, the delights of my life. My big guy is turning four in just 10 days, and the countdown is on. Uh, My little guy, the baby, might be the smiliest baby in the world. He's also huge, 98th percentile in height, and his grandfather has already started calling him Tank, which I think is appropriate. Uh, And an improvement over the nickname his big brother gave him uh, before he was born, which was Guacamole. Uh, we asked him, hey, man, what do you want to name your brother? And he said, hmm, guacamole. And it stuck. It's not his real name, but that was his nickname before he got a new nickname, Tank. But love you guys. Thank you for all the support. And as always, my deepest thanks to you for listening, for tuning in, wherever you are in America or wherever you are in the world. If you dig this show, please tell your friends to check it out. If you're on an Apple device and you like it, please leave a quick review. It only takes a minute. Just go ahead and do it. And please keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And we'll work hard to continue to drop this podcast uh, waiting for you every Thursday morning. If you don't know, it drops at 3.01 a.m. Eastern. Uh, So you can wake up, listen to it on your way to work or on your way home. You can start your weekend off with it, whatever works for you. But spread the word. This podcast is continuing to grow, and that's thanks to all of you for just taking a couple minutes to spread the word. And as I mentioned, uh, I'm going to be back on the radio Friday, August 9th. I'm guest hosting again on Chris Cuomo's Let's Get After It show on Sirius XM Radio, channel 124. It's 12 to 2 Eastern, and it replays at 7 to 9 Eastern. Uh, You can listen if you're an XM Sirius XM subscriber, live or on demand. But tune in, call, and check it out, Sirius XM channel 124. And again, thanks to Chris Cuomo for letting me do it. Uh, And check out angryamericans.us if you haven't seen the website. We have videos of every interview, including the one from this episode with JT Lewis. Uh, Check it out. Share it. You can post it on your Facebook page. Send it to your friends who don't uh, listen to podcasts but do watch videos on YouTube. We also have links to our angry actions and ways to listen on every single podcast platform imaginable. That's angryamericans.us. Next week, we'll be back with a fresh new interview from another important, inspiring, or iconic American. It's another one you're not going to want to miss, so stay tuned, subscribe, and share. We will also continue to have, on Wednesday nights, Guess the Guest. So look for the hashtag, Guess the Guest, and if you guess it right, you'll win a prize. And we'll keep this movement growing week by week. And remember, it's okay to be angry. And know you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. 
And together, together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. And stay vigilant, America. Stay vigilant.